Swiss philosopher said, the problem with cliches is not that they contain false ideas, but rather that they are superficial articulations of very good ideas. I think that's exactly right. And further, things become cliches, these good ideas that, that, that are superficially articulated, they become cliched as we, over, we say them over and over. We use them. We wear them out like a pair of shoes and drain them of their meaning. And we Christians are some of the worst at taking truths, that good truths, and wearing it out. We can say things without even thinking. We can be guilty of the blithe repetition of cliches all the time. Things like, I asked Jesus in my heart. God is good all the time. That guy is on fire. God is sovereign. I feel led. Those kinds of things, they tumble out of our mouth and we're not really thinking about it. They're all good ideas, but they're cliched. Now, I wonder if Easter is a cliche for you today. Sunday morning, it's Easter. If you're not a follower of Jesus, maybe Easter is just another holiday and it's just a cliched one at that with Easter baskets and Easter bunnies and candies and pastel colors and eggs and all those sorts of things. Maybe it's a cliche for you. Maybe even if you're a Christian, if you've been following Jesus, it can be cliched for you too because you're so used to Easter and what it is and what it stands for. If someone were to ask you, you would say, well, yeah, Easter is the celebration of the fact that Jesus Christ died and rose again. And that truth doesn't dazzle anymore. You've had so many Easter's that it has become tired and cliched, even the resurrection. And you think, and that's a great truth, but it just, I'm so used to it. I'm so, so aware of what it is and I'm just not thinking about it much. I'm used to Easter. My goal this morning is to jar sensibilities. And the only way I know to do that is from the scriptures. I want to jar our sensibilities to help us see that the resurrection doesn't just matter. It's all that matters. Easter doesn't just matter, it's all of it matters. And we're going to see that as we look at Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to read verses 19 through 23. Now, Ephesians is written by a man named Paul. He's writing a letter to a church in a town called Ephesus. And as we read, the section we're going to read is halfway through a prayer he was praying for the people in Ephesus. So it's going to start off and sound a little weird, but we're going to be focusing on verses 20 and 20, 21, 22. But I'm going to read verse, from verse 19 to 23. So if you have a Bible, you can follow along with me as I read. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. I need to pray for help from the Lord. I'd appreciate it if you join me. Lord, I need your help. Lord, I wish Center Church could gather together as your body and celebrate your resurrection. We can't, but we're virtually gathered, and I pray you would bless that gathering as well. Lord, your word is not limited. You promise that your word, your preached word, will not return void. 
It's not for nothing. And Lord, I pray that it wouldn't be for nothing this morning. I pray that you would help us, Lord, this morning. Help us to be jarred out of our sensibility so that we can wonder afresh at the truth that our Savior is not dead. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen. Two points this morning. What is he, what is Jesus doing, and why does it matter? What is he doing, and why does it matter? And by what is he doing, I mean what is he doing now? He rose from the dead. That's great. Where'd he go? Where'd he go? Is he he's just gone? Is he off pursuing other interests? Is he engaging in some kind of cosmic social distancing? No, here's what he's doing. Verse 20, that he worked, that's God, in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. What is Jesus doing now? He's sitting down. And you might think, whoop-de-doo, I'm sitting down. What's the big deal? Here's the big deal. Here's the image that we see in in Revelation, for, or in, throughout the Bible, when we sit down, when we have someone sitting down, that means there's no more work left to do. That means there's nothing left to do for Jesus. So when it comes to salvation, when it comes to eternal life, Jesus has won the salvation of his followers, and now we see that he has nothing, yet else, for, nothing else to do on our behalf to secure our forgiveness and to secure our eternal life, so he sits down. He sits down. See, in sitting down, we also get a signal that Jesus has defeated the power of death. Jesus didn't just come back to life for himself. He didn't just come back to life to exhibit his power and to have people go, ooh, and awe like they might at a fireworks show. Jesus exhibited his power on other people's behalf because he didn't just defeat death and to, 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 for himself. He defeated death on behalf of others. He defeated the power of death. John Flavel says it this way, Death is a dreadful enemy. It confronts all the sons and daughters of Adam. That's totally true. Everybody is captured by death at one point or another. No one can escape its clutches. We might be able to take medicine or have a surgery, or convalesce long enough to get better, but we will not be better forever or for good. Death is a dreadful enemy, and it's coming for all of us. Flavel goes on, No one dared cope with this king of terrors but Christ. And he, by dying, went into the very den of this dragon, fought with it, and foiled it in the grave, in its own territory and dominions, and came off a conqueror. The destroyer of mankind closed in on Jesus, but our Savior destroyed the destroyer. And how does he celebrate? He sits down. There's no more work he needs to do to defeat death. Now, it's important to note that he sat down. That's what he's doing now. He sat down. But it's even more important, if I can put it that way, to see where he sat down. He sat down where, verse 20 tells us, at the right hand, at his right hand, meaning at the right hand of the Father in the heavenly places. This means that Jesus has been given by God authority over the universe. He is in the seat of ultimate power. There is no authority in all the universe above Jesus. So when Jesus died and rose again and ascended to the Father to sit at the right hand, we see 
in that action that he has all authority. Part of the point of Easter is the reality that we see when he steps out of the tomb that there is no power or authority, even as strong as death, that is greater than Jesus. He's beaten him. How do we know? He's sitting down. He sits down in the presence of the Father. Nobody sits down in the presence of the Father, but Jesus does. Jesus sits down in the presence of the Father. You see, it's not just that he's superior to all rule and authority, but all rule and authority in this universe is subject to him. He sits down in the presence of the Father. That means he shares the throne with the Father. When, we have given, when we're given in the Bible glimpses of the heavenly throne room, we see people respond and creatures respond very differently than that when they see the Father. When they see the Father, they are undone. Jesus sits down. Angels cover their faces to not dare to look on the glory of this God. Jesus sits down. Heavenly creatures sing to the glory of this God. Jesus sits down. Heavenly beings fall on their faces in honor of this God. Jesus sits. The greatest prophet in the Old Testament, Isaiah, he falls on his face and says he's undone. Jesus, he sits. And one day we will see, as Revelation chapter 20 tells us, the earth and the sky will flee from the presence of God. But Jesus, he sits. He is equal to God. He's become equal to God as he was faithful in his mission. He was always equal, but now he he has been given authority after he died and rose again and is seated, seated at the right hand. So he's seated at the right hand in authority, presiding over everything. That's what he's doing now. And you might say, well, that's great. Why does that matter? And that's the question. That is the question. Christians, we have got to be people who ask questions like this, or the things that come out of our mouth will just be cliched. If you grew up in a tradition where you were not encouraged to ask questions and just sort of take things as you heard them, that is not what we want to do at Center Church. That is not who we are. We ask questions, the harder the better. We put those questions to the scriptures and ask, why does this matter? Why does the resurrection matter? That is the question. It's not disrespectful to ask questions like this. Why does the resurrection matter? Does it matter because if you're on his team, he wins? Yes, but, do, but it's more than that. Does it matter that if you're on his team, that means he's going to protect you and shelter you from suffering and hardship? No, we've seen that that's not the truth. Oftentimes, the Lord uses hardship and suffering to grind us in and to to make us reflect him and grind off those edges of our lives so that we might become more and more like him. Why does the resurrection matter? I'm going to answer it by showing, but kind of from the side door as we look at a radical atheist, a man named Richard Dawkins, and his explanation of suffering and trials and hardship And he didn't speak about this directly with COVID-19, but you could see how this applies to COVID-19. Here, he has a philosophy that he wants to share with us from the radical, radical atheist worldview about what matters. See, we've said Easter is all that matters. He's going to tell us here in just a second that nothing matters. Richard Dawkins says, the total amount of suffering per year in the natural world is beyond all contemplation. And he says, it must be so. We live in a universe 
of electrons and selfish genes, blind physical forces, and genetic replication. Some people are going to get hurt. Some people are going to get lucky. And you won't find any rhyme or reason to it. Nor will you find justice. The universe that we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there was, is at bottom, no design, no purpose, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference. Let me read that again. The universe that we observe and live in, not just observe, the one we live in, is, has precisely the properties that we should expect if there is at bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference. The resurrection has a different message than that. The resurrection says that we are not just submitted to the indifferent forces of the universe. No, we have an advocate, a savior, one who died and rose again and has been given all authority. He is the one who is seated at the right hand of the Father. There is design. There is purpose. There is evil. And he has really dealt with it. Do you recognize that a radical atheist, to be able to, to deal with evil, what they have to do is say that it's an illusion. Evil is not an illusion. Evil must be dealt with. And Jesus Christ dealt with the greatest evil, the, the evil of sin and death. Jesus dealt with that evil. He didn't pretend like that evil was not real. He didn't say, hey, this is all an illusion. No, he died as a substitute for sinners. And he rose again to, to show that evil has been defeated. He, we are not, Christians, we are not just subject to a random universe. When we look at the, the revel, when we look at the, the resurrection, it doesn't just matter. It's all that matters. Now that doesn't mean we're going to understand what he does, how he does it, when he does it, and all those sorts of things. No one who, who would have seen Jesus crucified on that cross that day on Golgotha would have said, this makes total sense. I can see God's glorious plan plan through this. No, they're not, they, would have, they would have beaten their chest just like you and I would. And so what is going on? There is no point. It seems to be that Jesus is, is submitted to a pitiless, indifferent universe. But that's not what happened. Jesus died so that he could defeat death. And the resurrection today is all that matters. Because he died and rose again, he presides over all things. He is in authority over all things. Our lives are not governed by the random forces of an indifferent universe, but by the loving hand of an all-powerful Savior. If he didn't rise, nothing would matter. But because he did rise and was taken to heaven and given all authority, everything matters now. He rose and has all authority now. Do you see how the resurrection is anything but a cliche? The resurrection is all that matters. It's all that matters. It injects meaning into our lives. We're not going to understand all of his ways because he is still God. But we can recognize he's in authority and nothing is happening outside his great, great plan and will. 
every blessing, Christians, we've received is because he rose from the dead. The resurrection is all that matters. He died and rose again. It doesn't just matter. It's all that matters. He rose again and from a place of authority gave us all sorts of blessings. One thought as we close. Like I said, every blessing comes forth from that open tomb. But one thought. One thought that helps me as I think about this Easter, this Easter. I've been saying Easter is all that matters. One of the reasons, I've said this before, but one of the things I'm tempted toward is fear and worry. The most common command expressed in Scripture is don't be afraid. The, res- the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Easter tells me why. See, it's not helpful for someone to come up to me and say, hey, don't be afraid if I don't have a reason. I might be afraid and there might be nothing I can do about it. Maybe you're afraid with COVID-19 threatening your job or uh, your health or your family member's health. Maybe you don't know what's going to happen and you watch the news with rapt attention thinking that you are submitted to the random authority of whatever COVID-19 and it's, it's, it's viral It's a viral march upon our country and this world does. But you're not. Jesus, if he were to say something to you today, it would be this. You don't have to be afraid. How do we know this? Is it just because he said so? No, it's because he lives. The resurrection tells us why we don't have to be afraid. Why? Because there is nothing left to fear. Not in an ultimate sense. We may go through all kinds of horrendous things, but ultimately there is no one Christian who could snatch us from his hand. We have nothing left to fear because Jesus has slayed everything that could threaten us. No longer can death menace us for eternity. No longer will we ever be thought of as having to pay for our sins. We are not treated as our sins deserved. We are treated as sons and daughters because our Father has, has, has brought our substitute, Jesus Christ, and lifted him up to all authority at the right hand. We don't have anything left to be afraid of because our Savior has defeated everything that would stand against us. And he has all authority. He says we don't have to be afraid, so we don't. You see, Easter is all that matters. Really, another way to say that is Jesus is all that matters. And what he's doing now, he's seated in the place of authority, working for you. And you don't have to be afraid. Join me as I pray. Lord, I ask that you would just help all of us that would be tempted toward fear, Lord, to be able to take solace in your resurrection, Lord. You have defeated all the forces of evil, and you are reigning over them now. We don't understand everything, and not everything that is subject to you is seen yet to be subject to you, but we do know that you are victorious, and you are victorious not just for your own name and your own sake, but you're victorious for ours as well. May that comfort us, and I pray also for those that do not know you, those that are that are hearing my voice, that are afraid. I pray that you would comfort them with this truth, Lord. Jesus, bless Center Church 
keep us safe, and keep us fixed on you. In your name we pray. Amen.